This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Joan Chittister. The Hasidic masters tell the story of the rabbi who disappeared every Shabbat Eve to commune with God in the forest, his congregation thought. So one Sabbath night, they deputed one of their cantors to follow the rabbi and observe the holy encounter. Deeper and deeper into the woods, the rabbi went until he came to the small cottage of an old Gentile woman, sick to death and crippled into a painful posture. Once there, the rabbi cooked for her and carried her firewood and swept her floor. Then, when the chores were finished, he returned immediately to his little house next to the synagogue. Back in the village, the people demanded of the one they'd sent to follow him, Did our rabbi go up to heaven as we thought? Oh no, the cantor answered after a thoughtful pause. Our rabbi went much, much higher than that. A reading of scripture from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock deep into the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, 
Vashti shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, 21 to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. For the word of God in Scripture... For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. It seems that many people who bring dramatic change into the world do so in response to a calling of some sort. Some will credit that to God and others to just some sort of internal pull that leads them to a life's work or a particular path of action. And when someone says they've heard a clear call from God to do a particular thing, don't you sometimes feel a little bit jealous? I'll take that clear call anytime, God. And we're not surprised in the Bible to discover God calling people uh, into action, but what about us today? How will we recognize a call from God? Most of us aren't roaming the countryside looking for a burning bush to tell us what to do with our lives. But we wouldn't mind, right, some guidance on how to make a difference in the world, how to use the gifts that God has given us. Well, maybe this unusual story of Moses and the burning bush offers something that we can take uh, along those lines. Last week in Exodus chapter 1, we saw and read and were reminded that the, Israelite, or that the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites to oppress them. They worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and then ultimately instituted a policy of genocide to deal with this growing Israelite presence among them. And for generations of Israelites, this was all that they knew. This is all they knew. This wasn't a short episode. In fact, Exodus 12 says that the Israelites spent over 400 years in Egypt. Over 400 years. That's almost twice as long as our country has even existed. Just to give you a little scale. 
And of course, speaking of, we know our own nation had its beginnings in enslavement, oppression, and making people's lives bitter. And in the midst of such suffering and oppression, it's easy to ask and wonder, where is God? Where is God in this? Well, our text today in Exodus 3 begins with Moses perhaps wondering that same thing as he is out tending the sheep. And Moses has had his own unique experience. He was raised as an Egyptian. He was raised as an Egyptian. Remember when that policy was instituted, we've sort of skipped over this in the lectionary, but his mother set him in that little basket in the reeds and he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And then Moses' sister was handily nearby and they said, oh, bring me a nurse from among the Hebrews to nurse the child and picked Moses' own mother. But he was raised in an Egyptian household and it would have been easy for him, right, to claim that Egyptian identity, that Egyptian privilege, right? Probably had a life of means, would have been celebrated as a child, at least raised by the daughter of Pharaoh. Life could have been pretty easy street. And claiming that Egyptian heritage would have been the more natural and easier path for Moses, but his path, of course, like many of our paths, has a fork in it. Exodus 2.11 says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, it says, and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so we see Moses not detached from what's happening to the people of his own heritage. And he goes out and watches them and sees them. Sees what is happening in their lives. And he chooses to identify with these people of his heritage, of his ethnic heritage. Identifying with his mother, Jochebed, and his sister, Miriam. Identifying with Jacob and his sons and their descendants. And so he goes out and sees this incident, right? This Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, probably a daily occurrence out there on the work scene. As these people are enslaved and working for Pharaoh day after day after day at hard labor. He sees it, and he can't unsee it. He sees it, and he's filled with anger and with rage, and he knows it isn't right, and he knows he has to do something. And here's the thing. He doesn't need a burning bush to tell him that. Right? He hasn't had any experience that we've read with God to this point. No voice has spoken to him saying, this isn't right. He sees it and he knows this is not right. I have to do something about it. And so perhaps sometimes for you and I, it's that simple as well. We're waiting to hear something specific. We're waiting for that divine calling. Then we'll know what to do. But sometimes it's as simple as seeing what's happening, recognizing it isn't right, and being willing to act. Well, on this occasion, Moses' line of action maybe isn't very well thought out. He reacts in haste and in anger. He kills that Egyptian. Then he buries him in the sand. The next day he goes out again to watch. And again he sees, well now he sees his own people fighting. So his two Hebrews are fighting with each other. 
And he says, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? He says, come on, guys. Life is hard enough here with what the Egyptians are doing to us. Let's not do this to each other. But one of these two men says to him, well, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you just killed this Egyptian? And Moses is like, oh, crap. <laughs> Thought nobody saw that. Thought I did that kind of in secret. Covered it up with sand, didn't I? Disguise that well enough? Well, the word is out what he did. Pharaoh finds out. Pharaoh seeks to kill Moses who had been raised in Pharaoh's household. And so Moses decides to flee, decides to leave town, and he goes off to Midian, and he says, well, maybe this whole intervening in oppression thing just isn't for me. I'm going to take up the pastoral life of farming, shepherding. And so he watches sheep, not just for a few months, but for many years, decades even. The tradition is he spends 40 years tending sheep out there in Midian. And Exodus 2.23 says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Where is God? Well, the text reminds us that when people cry out in suffering, God hears their cry. And that brings us to our chapter, chapter 3. Well, it's just another ho-hum day many years later for Moses out tending the sheep. But our text hints that something auspicious is about to happen. It begins by telling us that Moses led his flock deep into the wilderness. You almost hear sort of a a fable or a story that we've heard many times, right? Then our hero goes deep into the wilderness. And so setting the stage, we're waiting for something to happen. And something does happen. He sees a bush that is on fire, but it doesn't burn up. Well, what is happening there? Why does God appear in such an unusual fashion? Well, there are several ideas, according to the Jewish sages, rabbis, and commentators. In the Midrash, we find this answer, that God, out of concern for the Israelites and their enslavement in Egypt, deliberately chose this simple bush, this, what they say is a thorn bush, saying that just as the thorn bush is burning and is not consumed, so the Israelites will not be consumed in their suffering in Egypt. They are going to survive. So I guess in that... Reading the flame is sort of like the suffering there in Egypt. But the Israelites are this bush which is not consumed and it's going to survive the suffering. Rabbi Joshua ben Karha says, Why a thorn bush and not a carob or a sycamore tree or some other plant to teach you that no place is devoid of God's presence? God can be found in every place, even a lowly thorn bush. Another says this, Said the Holy One, Don't you feel that I suffer anguish whenever Israel does? Know from the character of the place from which I'm speaking, out of the thorn bush, that I share their suffering. So this one is saying, God is saying, I'm identifying with you, Israel. I'm in this yucky bush, which is thorny. 
lowly. And so I am, I am symbolically with you in this suffering right now. And then one last take is from the Midrash Exodus Rabbah, which means the great exodus, which says, just as it is the nature of a thorn bush, as a man thrusts his hand into it, he's not hurt because the thorns are facing inward and down. But when he pulls his hand out, ouch, all those thorns catch the hand. So it is with Egypt, which embraced Israel when they came with Joseph and came down during the famine. But when they try to leave, it gets a bit stickier. And these were just a few takes, four takes from uh, the different midrashes and Jewish commentators, and there are more. And I, I love that because it just is a reminder, this approach to Scripture, that it's many layered. And there are many ways in which we can see and speak and draw from what God might be saying or doing in a particular text. And it invites us to wonder, what might God be saying to me even now? Another of the Jewish sages asked, with what voice did God speak to Moses? With what voice did God speak to Moses? Some say with the voice of his father. Some say with an angel's voice. Some say with his own voice. He heard his own voice calling out of the bush. And I kind of like that because I feel like I can identify with that a bit. Perhaps the voice of God sometimes is the voice that we hear within us. Abigail Treyu from Jewish Theological Seminary says, years ago I taught first graders at a local synagogue school. And we would frequently act out the scenes from the Torah. And when it came to God's speaking parts, the children had a great question. With what voice does God speak? What does God's voice sound like? And she says the more famous midrash on this, and if you don't know that term, midrash is a collection of Jewish creative interpretations on the text of varying um, historicity. And uh, yeah, and she says the, one of the more famous ones is from uh, Brachot, which says, with what voice did God speak to Moses? As we said, with, God, with Moses' own voice. And she says, that's the one that came to mind as my children, my first graders, asked me that question. And as I heard myself telling the children of this understanding of God's voice, I saw their eyes light up. Moses heard God's voice as his own. Each of us hears God's voice as our own, hearing what we need to hear. She says, yet we must carry the questions those first graders put so well. What does God's voice sound like? And how do we know what God is saying to us? Which, of course, gets back to our opening question. How do we hear God? How do we discern a calling or direction for our lives or even a certain stage of our lives? Well, the rabbis draw a linguistic connection between the flame of fire here in this text. Flame is the Hebrew word lava. And they talk about a heart of fire. Heart in Hebrew is lev. So lava, lev, a flame of fire and a heart of fire. So if you're wondering, what might God have you do out in the world? Ask yourself, what is it that's burning within me? What sets my heart on fire? What am I passionate about? What gets me going? What suffering in the world lights me up? That might well be the voice of God.
in your life? Well, it's one thing to hear the voice. It's another to respond to it. God says to Moses, out of the bush that's on fire, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering, and I have come to deliver them. We asked earlier when there's suffering and oppression, where is God? Our text here in Exodus says that when there is suffering, God sees, God hears, God knows, and God comes. But how does God do that? Well, here's the next step. After God says all of that, he says to Moses, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Moses is probably really liking what this voice was saying until that part. Yeah, yes, something's going to happen. Moses, you're up. Yikes. God hears the cries of oppressed, and when God is ready to do something about it, more often than not, God calls someone into action. And Moses responds unsurprisingly, well, that's great and all, but who am I to do this? God, who am I to do this? Perhaps we've asked ourselves that, right, in moments where perhaps we've sensed an invitation and that voice of self-doubt comes in. Really? Me? You know who you're talking to, right? God? Well, God doesn't respond directly to Moses' question of, well, who am I to do this? God responds by saying, I will be with you. I will be with you. Those are powerful and reassuring words. You won't be alone, Moses. I will be with you. Moses says, well, okay, well, who will I say sent me? pantheon of gods. Probably doesn't know the stories of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And God responds with the famous, I am who I am. Aye Asher Aye in Hebrew, otherwise known as the Tetragrammaton, which is a fancy way of saying there's four letters involved, <laughs> or the unpronounceable name. In the Jewish tradition, when this name of God appears in the text, it's read as Adonai, which means Lord, or Hashem, which means the name. Last week, we noted that the book of Exodus in Hebrew is not Exodus, but Shemot, which is names, plural, Shem meaning name, Ot is the plural, Shemot. Hashem simply means the name. I will be there. A powerful reassurance to Moses as he's called to this task. The Jewish writer Sam Shankoff says, each of us must ask ourselves, what is my burning bush? Which injustice in the world makes me cringe or cry or scream? These are the causes for which we are most equipped however overwhelming it might feel. 
We cannot wait. He says, until we feel completely ready for that time is never going to come. Rather, we must draw strength from the everlasting flames in our own heart, our own lev, leva, our own uh, heart of fire. The burning that won't stop. Where is God? Listening to the cries of the oppressed. And when God is listening, God is ready to call someone. To call us. And the invitation is, as Jesus noted in our gospel reading today, to pick up our cross and follow him. And of course, what was the cross but a symbol of resistance to oppression and injustice in the ancient world? God hears the cries of the oppressed. May we hear them as well. And may the voice from the fire, the burning within us, remind us of God's words to Moses, I will be with you. Amen. And namaste. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.